Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today, we welcome Rob Lust, the dog professor, into the Marion Public Library Community Podcast Studio for another edition of the Dog Professor Podcast on the Marion Now Podcast Channel and on the Dog Professor Podcast Channel. Rob, how you doing, my friend? Great, great. How are you? Wonderful. How's things at the Edgefield Animal Care Center? I hear uh, veterinary services are coming back. Well, we're get, trying to get back to normal as much as we can, yeah. and uh, I guess May May 1st we can kind of get back to all our, all the veterinary aspect of things, and then we're kind of in limbo a little bit about uh, our grooming aspect and all that. Boarding is uh, open if anybody wants to go anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. I get and, that. Uh, daycare, daycare services are open also. We're still... Um, we're still practicing our kind of our COVID rules, which is basically we're still doing curbside service where right. we'll come out, get the pet, bring them in, uh, do the treatment, what we need to do. So everything is still, um, I, we've, I, we think that's the safest, easiest social distancing is we just keep people out of the building and we go take, take care of your pet. And what's funny is a lot of the pets, when they're in here, um, and their owners aren't in the same room, they tend to be a little bit better behaved than when, <laughs> than when the owner is standing right there. So so that's that's helpful, too. I'm sure there's a few teachers that will tell you that's true in their classroom as well. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I totally get that. Now, with, with that in mind, uh, you know, not that this is going to be our topic today for Episode 6, but I thought I would throw this out. I've seen uh, over the, uh, the Internet in the last few days that some people have decided not only to cut their own hair, but maybe cut the hair of their pets and they're finding that to be extremely challenging and worth the money they pay to have their pets groomed that that's got to be tough to do oh for sure they yeah. they realize that and the the bigger aspect of the grooming part that people are begging us to do is toenail trims ah yes yeah my wife's <laughs> got that issue with her kitty and uh and luckily uh, we're able to do that inside the home ourselves so yeah yeah nobody's doing that right now and it's yeah. uh it's it's a job. It is it it is a job, and uh, hopefully we get things back to normal and get that opened up here pretty soon. And you got to be careful when you do that too, because you can you can make them bleed if you don't do it correct, right? Right, right. Yeah, right. the, uh, the quick inside the nail, mm -hmm. basically the bl a blood vein. You know, it's easy on animals that have kind of clear nails, right? Or light nails, because you can kind of see it, right? But um, you know, animals with dark nails and Meanwhile, they're wrestling around, and the nails are are flat, are like flashes of light as you're trying to clip them. <laughs> right, right. Now, so, being outside, will that wear those down a little bit if they are on pavement or whatever? No. Yeah, if you don't like to trim your dog's nails, then get out and walk them on concrete. Okay. Act just like an emery board. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. That'll just tell you that's the second intelligent thing I've thought of today. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing we do quite a bit of is uh, we use the Dremel tool, the oh, Dremel sanding tool. Sure. Okay? And you've seen it on, on as seen on TV type infomercials and stuff. Right. And what that does is that kind of takes away, one, it, it, the, it takes away the edge because you're basically doing using the sanding wheel and you're sanding the nail down. And two, sometimes if you do get t a tiny bit into the quick, it cauterizes it 
right away. Right. Um, it's a little safer way to do it. Some dogs aren't cool with the, the noise aspect of things, and you really have to be careful with it, obviously, with with dogs that have a lot of hair on their feet because yeah. you don't want the hair wound around it or anything like that. But we use that tool quite a bit also. Yeah, and I imagine it would take uh, a few members of the household to uh, to hold everybody down to even attempt to do that. So let's yeah. just hope we can get that o- aspect opened up here soon enough and and uh, and get uh, the puppies and the kitties what they need uh, for the grooming and all that kind of stuff. That's 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 our best case scenario at this point. I think e- right? exactly, exactly, <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about our next episode of the Dog Professor podcast. And I know last week we were talking about the sixteen week old puppy that we. We're trying to make sure that he began to understand who's in charge, who's the leader in the household. Um, and now we want to move on. Uh, what's our next version? Well, basically, last week we talked about one of the two dog rules um, that that pups kind of abide by their pack rules. They learn um, how to kind of assert dominance or have dominance asserted with them. And last week we talked about our last time we talked about the dog uh, on top, you know, mm-hmm. How dogs spend when they spend time on furniture, when they um, sleep in the bed, you know, when they're sitting on you, all that time. It's 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 about asserting dominance. Right. Well, another big assertion of dominance that happens all the time and happens right away is uh, the the rule of the dog in front is the dog in charge, and that comes down to the idea of why um, dogs pull on the leash from okay. the time most people, well, the first time they put a puppy a puppy a leash and collar on the puppy. Um, puppy will act like it's dying. You know, I get calls all the time. They get, I just got a six-week-old puppy. I put the put the leash and collar on the puppy. He started crying and flopping around and whining mm-hmm. and screaming. And the neighbors were looking and this and that. And I said, then what did you do when that happened? Well, I took the leash and collar off. Well, okay, there you go. <laughs> it's it, it, a lot of times when you put that leash and collar on a pup, dogs understand feelings they understand certain things now in a dog's world in a dog's mind the neck on a dog is a control area okay like if we have a toddler child that we want to control what do we do we either pick them up and hold them or we hold their hand we grab their hand okay Okay. so what it's the same idea with young puppies when pups get out of control older dogs tend to grab them uh, around that skin, around the neck. That's why they have all that extra skin around the neck. So mm-hmm. if you picture it like grabbing your toddler's hand to get them under control, that's what it is. Now, when you grab that, whether it be the puppy, or and when I say grab it, I mean like when you put a collar and leash on it, they feel that pressure. They feel that, that they're no longer driving the bus that you are. Um, so when they feel that, just like a toddler... The toddler and the puppy have two choices to make at that point. One, they go with you, or two, they try to fight against the pressure, okay? Okay. And what ends up happening with with most parents, with most toddlers, I know with my toddlers, if I was holding onto their hand and they threw a fit and they're flopping on the ground and everything, just, just like a pup, I'm not letting go of the hand. I'm holding onto the hand until the fit is done, and then the pressure goes away. Then I let go of the hand. It's the same thing with a dog when you put a leash and collar on, whether it be a young one or not. The moment you put a collar and leash on, you're putting pressure on the dog. The dog has to respond when they feel that pressure one way or the other. One, they go with you, which means now they're giving up dominance of the situation and control of the situation to you. Two, 
they fight against you because they don't want to give up that control. They don't want to give up that dominance. And they flop, cry, pull, all that. So that's, that's a real moment. And like we've talked about all the way up to this point, we've been trying to establish some structure with the dog as far as where we fit in in the dog's mind of what the hierarchy is in the house and where they fit in. Mm-hmm. And every time we snap that leash on, that becomes a moment we can make a point or give up a point. I've always talked to people about um, when puppies or young dogs are trying to figure out what the hierarchy is, all, you have multiple moments throughout the day where you can win a dominance point and you can lose a dominance point. In the dog's mind, the dog at the end of the day that has the most dominance points starts out the day, the next day, a little bit higher on the ladder, and they have to lose that position. So when people start thinking of it that way, and we point out to people all these moments they're losing those points, pretty soon they realize why the dog's not listening to them, because the dog's way ahead on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Okay? So what we try to do when we put that leash and collar on is you're going to have multiple moments to decide or to win a point or to lose a point. So the first thing we try to teach dogs and people when they come in is how to walk on a leash, because that's really a way to start establishing your dominance. In the dog world, without the leash and collar, if you were another dog, the establishment of dominance usually means teeth, claws, somebody bleeding, all of that stuff going on. Um, so we would rather use the leash and collar in our, <laughs> our world. But what happens is dogs' body structure, are, their body structure is built to pull. Mm-hmm. All right, Their neck, the biggest complaint people have when they come in is, I want to teach my dog not to pull because he's choking himself to death. Why do they think he's choking himself to death? Well, usually the dog's hacking and wheezing and coughing. But what's the dog still doing? The dog is still pulling on the leash. So obviously, physically, there's a difference between a dog and us. Um, we see that it, we see if that collar was on us, we think like a hangman's noose. We would choke to death, or you know, or whatever, strangle, whatever. Right. Dog, a dog's neck is not built like our neck at all. It's mm-hmm. built like our thigh. Okay, it's very strong. Uh, there's a, the thickest muscle, strongest muscle on the dog is the jaws. The second strongest muscle on the dog is the muscles of the neck right behind the, the jaws. So that's why we put a collar on there. They pull to the point of choking, not because it's comfortable, but because the visual tells you and tells everyone in the neighborhood that is watching who is actually winning this argument and who is the more dominant dog, you or the dog by walking ahead. So they continue to walk ahead and choke, but they continue because it's important for them to lead. So most people try to just battle this problem uh, strength for strength. Well, you're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care what size dog it is or whatever, you're going to lose. Um, the reason dogs do this besides the, phys- the feeling of winning the physical battle is because, like I said last week, time, last episode, a dog's world is all about visual, okay? They're, they're you know, you can tell a dog, well, um, you know, over there's a cow, right here's green grass, whatever. If a dog doesn't see it, they don't, they don't know it's there. So they're very much in the moment. So eye contact and visual contact with a dog is extremely important. So in a dog's mind, if they don't see you, you're not in the room. You're not something in their 
life at that moment. That's why when they get in trouble or they feel submissive, they break that eye contact, they lower their head, they look towards the floor, they're afraid to look you in the eye, all of that, because the dog's world is very visual. If I don't see you, you're not in my world. So when a dog is pulling on the leash in front of us and, and continues to pull, who's controlling the eye contact? You can't look your dog in the eye at that situation unless they choose to turn back and look at you. So that's another factor as to why dogs pull so hard on the leash. Mm-hmm. So all of this, every step we take, people are like, well, I, I just, I'll tell you what, I don't like to hear him choke, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a harness and put it on instead of the collar. Mm-hmm. So now what we've done is we've just introduced a way that the dog is winning and we're going to make it easier for them to win. So you have to really decide as the dog owner, are you just going to get pulled on that leash for the rest of your life Or are you going to use this moment now while the dog is smaller to assert this is how things are going to go, right? This is how we're going to do it. The biggest drawback most people have is they they go, well, he's going to keep choking and he's going to realize it's uncomfortable and then he's going to quit pulling. That mentality is what brought out uh, the design of the choker collar, which is what we use quite a bit for training, um, but we use it in a way different way. Again, goes back to the structure of the dog. People put on a choker collar, and they tell themselves, well, he's going to pull, and he's going to start choking himself, and then he's going to realize that if he doesn't pull, he's not going to get choked. Well, dogs don't do that because put a choker collar on your thigh and, <laughs> and right. start walking. That's the same feeling a dog has, basically, basically, when you put that choker on. So what we try to do when we're trying to teach a dog to walk with us is, number one, I have to change my habits. When humans go out to walk their dog, we have this mentality, we're going to get somewhere. We're going to go places. So we say, we say to ourselves, well, I'm going to walk to the end of the road, then I'm going to turn left. I'm going to go to the end of that road, and I'm going to turn left and come back. And we get this pattern figured out we're going to go. Well, the dog figures it out, and they say, well, this is what we do, so I'm just going to meet you at the end of the route. What you have to do is you have to be able to change things up. You're leading this. So the easiest thing to start doing When you go for a walk, when you step out the door of your house today and you have that dog on the leash and the dog shoots out the door and starts to pull you, you take about three steps and then you do a 180 and come right back towards the house. Now, you've already done the first step of teaching a dog that you're driving the bus because you've instantly changed up the scenario. Dog sits down, looks at you. All of a sudden, we're heading back to the house. The dog's going, hey, that's not what we do. Yeah. We're supposed to go up this road, take a left, and take a left. So guess what? Now we're heading back towards the house. Well, the dog says, well, I have to lead. So what do they do? They run ahead of you and start to pull you towards the house. And what do we do the moment they pass us? We do a 180 and head back the other way. Mm-hmm. So you might not get anywhere that day. You might only walk six to eight feet, and you might still do a mile's worth of steps. Yeah. But the point is, the dog starts to wonder what your issue is and starts to, if they don't know where you're going, they have to start to back up to visually see where you're going, see what you're going to do next. And, and now, now we're starting to make the point to the dog, you, better pay, you pay attention to me because I'm driving this bus. Now, that's the, that's the breakdown, simplest, easiest way to start doing it. And it really bothers people more than it does the dog. 
yeah. because people are like, well, the neighbors think I'm crazy. Or, well, <laughs> or it's awkward we, and uncomfortable, and, sure. Yeah, get anywhere, whatever. And and that's when I talk to people, I'm like, you don't think your dog thinks that same stuff, all right? Your dogs, have, you know, they know what your patterns of your behavior are. Mm-hmm. And if you feel weird because you've just broke out of your pattern of behavior, and you go back to the same pattern, the dog's going to go back to the same behavior. So you can't change a dog's behavior unless you change some things about you. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, let's say, for instance, we're in that situation where we need to learn how to do the leash, how to do all this stuff. Dog training is something they need to look into. Tell everybody how they can do that and what happens there. Yeah, what what the process is when we do training, the youngest dogs we'll take are 16 weeks of age because mm-hmm. hopefully you've learned up to this point listening to the podcast that they're kind of a lump of clay and you are kind of forming their personality up to that point. But right. about 16 weeks of age, they have enough focus, they have enough attention span that they can start to work, and we want to grab them before they get some ingrained dominance ideas and and now you bring him in at eight months of age, and now this dog thinks he runs the show, plus he's 85 pounds and everything else. So easiest way to do it is when we do the training, what we try to have you do first is you usually call and you'll schedule an evaluation with our trainer. Um, you'll meet with, with her. She'll sit in the room. She'll evaluate the dog's behavior and what your issues with the dog's behavior are. But she'll also evaluate your your behavior and your patterns. And and when those two things are both seen, then we can make behavior adjustments in both, and that's what's going to make a behavior change in your dog. Um, she'll recommend certain programs that we have. We have private lesson programs where you come in once a week, just like what it says it is, um, and, and you have a, a lesson with her. The first part of the lesson, she's teaching the dog what we're doing today. second part, we're teaching you what you need to do to reinforce it at home. Because remember, it all goes back to a point system, like I said. If you can, you can win some points today, but you're still going to be in um, a game tomorrow. So you have to maintain those points, and so consistency is the key. Um, we also have residence programs, um, and hopefully, as we get going here and things get back to normal, those those are tend to be most of our popular programs. We do have dogs in here that she's training now, and that's that's where the dog comes and stays with us for a period of time um, while they're here. Um, she's she's teaching them what the dog needs to know, exposing them to a lot of situations where we have to go, yeah, these people are petting you, but that's not an excuse to jump on them. This is how you're supposed to behave when this goes on, or this is how you're supposed to behave here. Owner comes to pick the dog up. Um, then you start a series of follow-up lessons with our trainer, and, and that's where you learn what you need to do to step into the role that has been established in a, the dog's mind by our trainer. Um, you won't Every, I always tell people, you're not going to be me, okay, but you can be a different you when the dog goes home. And that's a fresh start when they do because you can be a different person um, when you leave the place than you were when you dropped them off. So it's easier transition for the dog to go, oh, okay, you must have talked to Rob or you must have talked to Peyton. So yeah. you know what the rules are, so I guess I'll start to follow those rules at home. Good stuff. EdgefieldAnimalCare.com, or they can certainly pick up the phone and give you guys a call. You guys are there. You'll answer the phone, and like you were saying, we can help you out with things uh, curbside or whatever right now until everything gets back up. But, of course, veterinary services are coming back up beginning May the 1st. Folks just need to call you. What's the number to hook up? Yeah, call us, 740-389-4661. 
Um, if you follow us on Facebook, that keeps you updated as well as we can with our changes and and different things that we're doing. Um, and you can also look up our basic information, our current information. Most of our current stuff all, with all this COVID stuff isn't so current on our right. website. So Facebook tends to be our easiest place to check. There you go. Edgefield Animal Care Center, the Dog Professor podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today as we are inside the Marion Public Library Community Podcast Studio for another episode with the Dog Professor, Rob Lust. If you're just finding it, make sure that you like and follow the Dog Professor podcast. Just click follow right up there on the free iHeartRadio. Radio app. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.